Esther 7 this morning. We are continuing on where we left off. We've been trucking our way through Esther. We, we are getting to really the, the good part of the story today. The last couple of weeks as we've, we've begun to see things shift from what happened in the beginning of the story. In the beginning of the story, we just see, see a king that doesn't like his queen and gets rid of her and gets a new queen. Nothing real special there. We see a, a king that's appointing one of his officials to a higher position of power. Nothing real special there. But then, then we begin to be introduced to the problem. And the problem is, is, is that man that the king put in that new position of power, he had a hatred for the Jews. His name was Haman. And boy, he was furious with a guy named Mordecai, and he was furious with him so much that he said, I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to kill all of his people. And so Haman sends out this decree. All the Jews are to be killed on a certain day, and, and this was bad. And, and Mordecai was upset, but it just so happened that that new queen that the king had picked, her name was Esther. And she was a cousin of Mordecai who had raised her, and she was a Jew. And she was in trouble too. And she told Mordecai to fast about all that was going on and she was going to fast and she was reluctant, reluctant at first to, to do anything. But she said, look, Mordecai, I'll do it. I'll speak up for my people. If I perish, I perish. And so Esther had decided she was going to go before the king and as scary as it was, her life was in jeopardy because the king hadn't called for her. And in those days, if you went to go see the king... And he hadn't told you to come in. He may kill you. And so Esther worked up the nerve and she went before the king and lo and behold, he didn't kill her. He said, come on in here, Esther. I'm glad to see you. What do you want? What can I do for you? And Esther said, I want you to come and eat with me. I want you to bring Haman. I want you to come to this feast. And the king said, you got it. And they came and they had a big time and everything was good. And, and Haman was happy as could be that he was eating with the king and the queen and He's still full of anger, though still hated Mordecai with a passion. And his wife and his friends said, look, you, you can deal with this. Get up in the morning, and you go and you have Mordecai killed. We'll build a gallows 75 foot tall, a big platform that we can, we can hang Mordecai from. And do that first thing in the morning, and then you can go eat with the king and the queen again. Because the queen had said to the king, I want you and Haman to come back again tomorrow. But of all the things that could have occurred in the passage we looked at last week, of all the nights that sleep could have escaped the king, and that one night the king could not sleep, and he ordered one of his, one of his attendants to get, get the record that records all the things that go on and read it to me. And in that book of records, there was a story about a guy that had spoiled an assassination attempt on the king and saved his life. And that guy's name was Mordecai. And the king said, what did we do to honor this guy? The guy said, well, there's nothing in the records here. We didn't do anything to honor this guy. So he said, who's here? Is anybody here? And lo and behold, early in the morning, who was there but Haman? What a coincidence. Let's give that coincidence a name. We'll call it God. What a coincidence that Haman showed up that morning early. Why? Because he was ready to, to stick it to Mordecai and go through with his plans. And the king ushered him in, and he said, to, he said to Haman, he said, look, if the king really wanted to honor somebody, what would the king do? And Haman said, oh, oh, 
he's, he's honoring me. Who else could deserve honor more than me? And he says, you should put him on the king's horse. You should dress him in the king's clothes. And you should let one of the king's men parade him all around town saying, this is what the king does for the one he wants to honor. And the king said to Haman, go and do this to Mordecai. Haman's arch enemy that he was, thought he was going to kill that morning and now all of a sudden he's leading him around on the horse saying, this is the one the king wants to honor. And Mordecai, boy, he was, he, he, he covered his head. He, was, he, he, couldn't, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't take it. And he rushed home to his wife and his friends, the same ones that had told him just the day before, you better kill Mordecai. Now they say, look, you're in trouble, Haman. Mordecai's got the upper hand. Now you're giving him honor. And it's not going to be long until you and big trouble. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? We look through all the Old Testament and we see God do these miraculous miracles, parting the sea and causing the sun to stand still and all this miraculous things that God does. But yet we get to the book of Esther and it just seems like normal life, right? Just like normal coincidences. God's never mentioned not once. But yet God is still working just as much. Who would have thought? We think about miracle. We think about God parting the Red Sea. Here's the miracle that God does in the book of Esther. He causes a king not to be able to sleep. What a miracle, right? What about the things that God does in our life? Maybe the nights that God is causing sleep to escape us is a way that God's going to work a miracle in our life, work through His, His, His plans in our life. You see, we may say, Man, God's not working because I don't see him working. But maybe he's working just as he did in the book of Esther through ways that we don't always see. And so the story's taking this big shift. And now we see really the, the climax of the story in this chapter today in Esther chapter 7. We'll pray and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for these good words. And I pray that we'd grow from you in these words. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us today, God. I pray that you hide me behind the cross, that you take away any pride in my life, dear Lord, any worries, any fears, and God, let me open my mouth to speak the truth of your word today, and I pray, God, that everything we do will point us to Jesus Christ and be, and be for your glory. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Esther chapter 7, verse 1, the king and Haman came to feast with Esther the queen once again on the second day while Drinking wine, the king asked Esther, Queen Esther, whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek, even to half the kingdom, will be done. Queen Esther answered, If I have obtained your approval, my king, and if the king is pleased, spare my life. This is my request, and spare my people. This is my desire. For my people and I have been sold out to destruction, death, and extermination. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. King Ahasuerus spoke up and asked Queen Esther, Who is this, and where is the one who would devise such a scheme? <coughs> Esther answered, The adversary and enemy is this evil Haman. Haman stood terrified before the king and queen. Angered by this, the king arose from where they were drinking wine and went to the palace garden. Haman remained to beg Queen Esther for his life, 
because he realized the king was planning something terrible for him. And just as the king returned from the palace garden to the house of wine drinking, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Would he actually violate the queen while I am in the palace? As soon as the statement left the king's mouth, Haman's face was covered. Harbona, one of the royal eunuchs, said, There is a gallows 75 feet tall at Haman's house that he made for Mordecai, who gave the report that saved the king. The king commanded, Hang him on it. They hanged Haman on the gallows and he, that he prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's anger subsided. Wow, what a story. We see Haman and all of his evil that has been kind of building up through this story and his anger and his hatred and his plans to destroy Mordecai and eventually destroy all the Jewish people. And this was the day that it was supposed to occur. I mean, this was uh, the day after that it was supposed to to occur, Mordecai was supposed to be dead, yet Mordecai had been honored by Haman and the king, and now Haman's plan has been flipped. God has intervened for his people. He has placed a young Jewish girl in the position of the queen, and she has trusted in God, and she has spoken up for her people, and she has gone before the king, and God has given her favor, and the king has said, Queen Esther, what do you want? Just tell me, and you can have it. And Queen Esther finally came out with it. King, would you spare my life and spare the life of my people? Because we are doomed. And the king said, who is responsible for such a thing? And the queen said, it is Haman. And the king was furious at what has taken place. And Haman was terrified because he knew that he was in big, big trouble. And so the king, in his anger furious as he was, he left the room and went out to walk in the palace garden for a while, possibly to decide what he was going to do. Perhaps, just perhaps, the king knew that he had some responsibility in this. After all, Haman had brought this before the king some time ago, and he had told the king, there's these people, and their ways are not like our ways, and, and look, they're a threat. We need to get rid of these folks, king. And the king signed off on it. He told Haman, go and do what you want to do. Haman said, look, if we destroy these people, I'll make a big, a big donation to the treasury. Now, this is likely not Haman's money that he was going to, to deposit into the treasury, likely the money he was going to get from the Jews. And, and they had indeed been sold out, just as Queen Esther had said. Our people have been sold to destruction, king. But the king had signed off on this. He had given Haman permission to do this. Perhaps the king remembered that, or maybe not. Maybe the king gave orders like this all the time, and he didn't remember the, the order that Haman had given out. But regardless of whether the king remembered that event or not, he was angered, and he stormed out of the room, and Haman, doing the only thing he could do, he began to beg. And there was Queen Esther, much like a king or a queen would have been in those days. You can imagine Queen Esther reclining on the couch, 
We see those, those images and pictures in movies, right? Uh, where we see queens reclining on a couch and there's probably somebody there with a, with a, with a, with a bowl full of fruit that they're eating and, and big leaves fanning them. We see that kind of picture and maybe that's what the picture looked like for Queen Esther as she reclined as, as the party was going on and the feast and the drinking was going on. And as she reclined on her couch, Haman, full of fear, ran to the couch and he collapsed on the couch where the queen was and he began to beg her, Queen, please spare my life. He knew that he was in trouble. One who was once so proud, just a couple of chapters ago, one who was so proud and so full of himself and so great, and who could topple him, now is, is falling on the couch of the queen and he's begging for his life. And about that time, the king returns. He returns from the garden and lo and behold, he sees Haman there laid over the couch where the queen is laying, and he says, How dare he? How dare he make this move on my queen? How dare he try to violate my queen in my presence? This was a big no-no. You didn't approach the queen in that way. You especially didn't go lay up on the couch that the queen was laying on. Now maybe, just maybe, the king saw this as an opportunity. If, in fact, he did recall that he had, he had signed off on that edict and he said who was responsible, well, the king himself had responsibility for this. Perhaps the king remembered that. And maybe this was a good way for the king to have an out. Maybe the king had contemplated that. Maybe that's what he was thinking. Or maybe not. There's no way to know. But regardless of, of what was going through the king's mind... He indeed had a, had a reason now if the, if the death of the Jews wasn't a good enough reason to destroy Haman. Now he had yet another reason that Haman had brought on himself that the king was in no way responsible for. And that is Haman was all laid up on the queen's couch and the king said, How dare you do this? You can't do this in my presence. Now surely the king would have had to have known that Haman wasn't making any kind of move on Esther. But regardless... The sentence had been passed. Punishment was going to come. And one of the king's officials said, Hey, king, it just so happens that it, at Haman's house, there's this big gallows that's 75 foot tall. He was going to use it to hang Mordecai. You remember Mordecai, the one I read to you about in the book, the one that I told you that, 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 that he saved your life by, by spoiling the assassination attempt? Yeah, Haman was going to hang him on that gallows, but the king said... You go and hang Haman on that gallows. And so it occurred, and Haman was hanged on the gallows, and his life ended on that day. What a, what a powerful story. And really, we've kind of been hoping for that in some sense, right? I mean, we kind of do when we read books and we watch movies and, and we see stories like this, and we see people that are evil and bad, we kind of... We kind of like it when we, when we see that they get what's coming to them, right? And that's kind of good and bad, I think, as Christians. I mean, there's a part of us as Christians, as followers of, of Jesus Christ that, that, that serve the Lord, we do rejoice in justice. That's a, justice is a good thing. And so I think that, that in some sense, it's not wrong for us to rejoice in justice, but at the same time, we have to be careful that we don't cross a fine line there that we hope for and rejoice in people's suffering. Because justice has to occur. God is a just God, and so we rejoice in that because it's a good thing. 
But what we have to be careful of is rooting for suffering of our enemies. That is not what God desires. Is God a just God? Will God bring punishment to those who do evil and do not repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ? Yes, he will. But I don't believe that God rejoices in that. God is patient. God is long-suffering. He wants all to come to repentance and none to experience his wrath. That's what the scripture tells us. God is just, sure, but he doesn't rejoice in the fact that people are going to die and be separated from him for all eternity. God doesn't want us to die in our sin, but yet justice must be served. And so we're kind of torn in stories like this. There's, there's a part of us that rejoices because, because evil was dealt with. But then there's a part of us too that, that maybe we should be sad in a sense that man, that was a soul that lived in sin that died. And so we need to think about that in our own lives. We need to think about that because, because we want justice to be served, but we don't, we don't want that to be what we hope for. We don't want that to be what we pray for. And so we have to be careful because we have enemies, right? We have people in our life that we can look at that are our Hamans, that we can look at them and say, man, they're so evil in what they're doing to me. And our, and our thoughts and our temptations and maybe even our prayers are God, give them what's coming to them. But that shouldn't be our prayer. That shouldn't be our hope. Our, our prayer should be God changed their heart. God help them not to be evil. God help their, their ways to be changed and for them to seek you. And that's the real heart of the Christian. That's, that's how we can know if we're maturing in the Lord. Is that, is that how we feel toward our enemies, toward those who hate us? Do we really deep down inside want them to change? Maybe we don't. If we're honest with ourselves, maybe we don't. People that really have done evil, there may be a part of us that says, mm, I know that I'm supposed to love my enemies and pray for their good. But golly, I really would rather something bad happen to them. And so that's something we really have to fight with because that's our, that's our natural inclination, inclination. But what we should seek is to have a heart of God and not desire that any suffer and perish, but that all come to repentance in Jesus Christ. And that's a hard thing for us to do because we have these Hamans in our life. We have these evil folks. But we need to pray that God would change their heart and not give them what they deserve. And the reason for that is, if we're really honest with ourselves, is that we are Haman. We are Haman, right? We read these stories in the scripture and we see movies and we see the good guy and we see the bad guy. And who do we always say that we're like? We're always the bad guy. We can, I mean, the good guy. We can relate to the good guy. We want to be the good guy. We see ourselves as the good guy. Because we can't bear to think of ourselves as the bad guy, as the evil person. But yet, if we're really honest with ourselves, how many things in our life are there that are just evil that shouldn't be there? And maybe sometimes we are the good guy. And maybe sometimes we are doing I'm not saying that everything you do is evil all the time and your heart dwells on evil and you're the most horrible person in the world. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that there's likely some evil in your life and you may have overlooked it. Just as there's evil in my life. And sometimes I may overlook it. You see, the fact of the matter is, is that we look at evil and we think, man, I'm glad I'm not like that. But what if we are like that? What if we are like that in some ways that we don't recognize? 
And the truth of the matter is that when it comes to being evil, we are all sinners. Every single one of us, we are sinners. And we are doomed because in some way we can, we can, we can relate to who Haman is, full of pride and arrogance and trusting in himself and not worried about anybody but himself. Maybe we can relate to that, maybe more than we want to admit that we can relate to that. And so we all suffer from this problem of evil. We all suffer from this problem of sin. And if we were to get what we deserved, our fate would be no different than that of Haman. We would build the, we would build the noose to hang ourselves on because that's what sin leads to in our life. And that's, that's what we deserve. And, and you could look at the story of Haman and you could say that he got what he deserved and, and maybe rightfully so. But what about you and I? What do we deserve? Well, the punishment of sin is death. And that's really what we deserve. But praise the Lord, that is not what we get if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Haman was hanged that day. But yet there is another who was hanged. Maybe not quite in the same way that Haman was, but there was another who was hanged. And, and we rejoice in the fact that Haman was hanged because justice was served. But yet many, many years later, Jesus was hanged on a cross. And we rejoice in that. And we rejoice in that because what we deserve is what Haman got. But what we get is what Jesus did on our behalf. We see in the New Testament, Peter says on a couple of occasions in Acts, Acts chapter 5, verse 28, the people are getting on to Peter and the early apostles for preaching, preaching the gospel and doing the work. And, and in Acts chapter 5, verse 28, it says, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name, that is the name of Jesus, and look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What are the early apostles doing? They're preaching the gospel. The religious leaders of the day, they don't like it. They said, you keep preaching that this guy's blood's on us. And Peter doesn't back down. He said, you murdered this guy. You hung him on a cross. But what was the result? Peter said, you hanged him on a cross, but it resulted in the forgiveness of sins. He's seated at the right hand of God. And Jesus took what he did not deserve to accomplish a goal, to forgive sins. Whose sins? your sins, and my sins. And then later on in Acts chapter 10, verse 39 and 40, we ourselves are witnesses of everything he did, both in Judea, the Judean country, and in Jerusalem. Yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and permitted him to be seen. And then Paul says in Galatians 3, 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Listen at this now. By becoming a curse for us. 
Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. What we deserve because of our sin, we are cursed because of that. We are cursed. We deserve punishment. But what did Jesus do? He became cursed for us. And in what way? He was hanged on a tree so that we could be forgiven. You see, we, we see the story of Haman and we are excited and glad because of what happened to Haman. But that's what should happen to us. We should be hanged, but we are not hanged because Jesus hanged on the tree for us. And there is forgiveness for us if we trust in Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. You have been healed by his wounds, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Man, that's good. It's good to know that even though we are deserving of death and punishment, we are deserving to be hanged, no different than Haman. Jesus said, I know that's what you deserve, but I love you too much to let you go through it. So Jesus said, I will go through it for you. I will be the curse for you. I will take the pain of the curse and I will be hanged on that tree so that you can be forgiven. Praise the Lord. But what about you today? You see, you have to make a decision. You have to make a choice of, as to whether or not you're going to accept what Jesus did on your behalf. Because if you don't accept the blood that Jesus said, you are still living under the curse of sin. If you're like Haman today and you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, then, then you are doomed to destruction. There is no hope for you apart from Jesus Christ. And so maybe we look at the things that Haman did and the way that Haman lived his life and we say, man, that was bad. And maybe we look at that and we say, man, that's the way I'm living my life. Well, Haman died living his life in that way. But what about you and I? If you're living your life in sin, if you're living an evil life, then don't continue to do so. But recognize the truth of God's Word. You are a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. And He hanged on a tree so that you could be forgiven. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Peter tells us that He is our shepherd and the guardian of our souls. Man, that's a good thing right there. Jesus is the guardian of your soul. That your soul is not going to be ripped from him. That nobody can pluck you from his hand. But Jesus Christ is your shepherd and the guardian of your soul when you put your faith in him. The guardian of your soul who's going to take your soul out of this old world and going to take it into an eternity in his presence. Because he hanged on a cross so that he could be able to do that. He used all of his power in the world, and he, and he said, I'm going to use that power in humility so that I can hang on that cross so that one day I can be the guardian of all these folks' souls that are sitting in Enterprise Baptist Church on April the 3rd, 2022. He said, I want to be the guardian of their souls, so I'm going to hang on that tree for them. Is Jesus the guardian of your soul 
today. We may like to think that we're in control of our own souls and our own life. But there's only one guardian of our soul that has our best interest in mind. And that is Jesus Christ. And there is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ. And we need to continue to, to hear this message and to preach this message. And to live by the same message that Peter and all the early apostles preached. And not shy away from it. No. It is because of what Jesus did that we can be forgiven. Have you been forgiven today? Do you have faith in Jesus? I'm not asking, do you come to church often? Do you pray often? Do you read scripture often? Do you put a lot of money in the offering plate? I didn't ask that. I ask, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Is he the king of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? If you've never put your faith in Jesus, I hope today that you would do so. I hope you'd call out to him. I hope you'd repent. I hope you'd recognize what we deserve as sinners, but what Jesus took on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to suffer that punishment. That Jesus suffered so you wouldn't have to. And I hope you're trusting in Jesus with your life today. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for these good words. And God, I, I thank you for the story of Esther that we get to see. God, we get to see how you work in a mighty way, even behind the scenes. God in ways that seem so insignificant but God even when you work in ways that seem insignificant they have a greater impact than we could possibly imagine God we thank you for this story to let us see how you work but also to let us check our own self to let us look at ourselves and see if we're like Haman to see if there's sin in our life because God there is sin there and we need to acknowledge it we need to repent of it God even for the believer there's still sin in our life that we got to deal with. But God, maybe there are some today that have never dealt with that sin for the first time. They've never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. God, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would work on them and convict them. Maybe today that they know that their sin is going to lead to their destruction, and I pray that they just would repent. God, that they would humble themselves before you and acknowledge that they are indeed a sinner. But that they would acknowledge that Jesus Christ, your Son, died on a cross for their sins so that they could be forgiven. And so God, I pray today that with their heart that they would call out to you, with their heart that they would repent, with their heart that they would put faith in Jesus, that they would say, no more, God, will I live for me, but God, now I will live for you. God, I pray that, that today that you'd make, make some folks in here a new creation if they've never put their faith in you. God, I pray that today if somebody has made that decision in this moment, God, we praise you for it. Because in that moment where their heart makes that decision, they are yours. And God, if there are some in this room that have made that decision today, I pray that as we sing in these next few minutes, that they would come down, dear Lord, to be baptized as your word commands, dear Lord. I thank you for these good words. I pray that we take them with us when we leave this place and that they'd be a blessing to us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.